Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Hi, all right. Can everybody grab a seat? We're going to get started here in just a second. Uh, welcome. Happy Reformation Day. Woo. Um, there are handouts at your tables. Uh, there's actually two today. You have the group questions that are like normal. So for after the teaching time, you can work through those application questions in your groups. And then there's also today, just because we're covering, we're going to cover a lot of ground. This is like back to school day a little bit. Um, so I have another sheet for people who like to take notes. You don't have to take notes. It looks like this. It's a prophesied kingdom uh, little note sheet. So you can take this and follow along as I teach if you would like. Uh, I'm going to open us now in a word of prayer. Uh, I am going to pray for Camille first, who is actually in surgery right now as I'm speaking. Um, I'm going to pray for her. And then I'm also going to pray, I think it was so fitting that we're in Bible study this morning on Reformation Day, because we wouldn't be here reading God's word as women in our own language, if not for the Reformation. So we can praise God for that. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word and for this time. Um, Lord, but first I want to lift up to you my sister Camille. Lord, I pray that as she's having her surgery right now, that you would give the surgeon skill and wisdom. Lord, we pray that they would be able to get 100% of that cancer. Lord, we pray that um, the recovery would go well, that you would protect her from infection. Um, Lord, but most of all, we pray that she would be depending upon you during this time. Um, Lord, help us to know how to help her when she comes home uh, next week, Um, Father. So we pray that you would be with her and with the whole Miles family this morning. Father, we also do thank you for the Reformation. Lord, we thank you that at just the right time, just when in your providence, when that printing press was coming out, that that the Bible would be available um, in in our language, in many languages. Um, Lord, I pray that we would continue to be part of that work in getting the Bible into everyone's heart language um, so that they can read the words of life. Thank you that we have your words of life and that we are women gathered today to read and study your word. What a privilege. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hope in your promises today and live in light of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, Welcome. Today, we are going to talk about everyone's favorite section of the Bible, a real high point, the prophets. Um, I was not actually excited to be teaching this section. I kind of felt like I drew the short straw. Um, but then somebody reminded me about the chapter on Revelation. So pray for Mary, because um, that will be a tough one. Um, seriously, though, does anyone love it when you're doing, like, you read the Bible through the year plan and you get to the section on the Old Testament prophets? Um, I think this chunk of the Bible can often feel for us like a black hole. I mean, what, what is even going on in this period? Uh, many of us maybe know, we could quote sections maybe of Isaiah or Jeremiah, um, but uh, when was the last time you texted your friend encouragement from Amos or Obadiah? Um, 
And uh, because I've been in Bible study a long time, like I could tell you, well, the point of 1 Corinthians is it's kind of a rebuke to a divided church, whereas Ephesians is an encouragement and unity to a church that's actually doing pretty well. Um, But what's the difference between Zechariah and Zephaniah? I don't know. (laughs) Not sure. Um, So there are a few reasons for this, I think. Um, As I said, there's a lot of blanks in our minds about this period of history. Uh, And to be clear, uh, this section of scripture that we're going to be talking about today comes kind of at the end of Solomon's reign and like the breakup of the kingdom. We talked about that a little bit last week, all the way to the end of the Old Testament. So it encompasses Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, the 12 minor prophets, as well as some narrative history and prophecy during that time, like books like Daniel, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. It's the stuff that doesn't often make it into the children's Bibles. Um, Also, the prophetic literature is hard to understand because a lot of it is poetry. It's not written like linearly or in chronological order often, and that's hard for us Americans. We're not used to that kind of literature. Uh, And if we're honest, all the judgment all the judgment. It's just, it's a downer. Um, so do you, if you remember the, the plot diagram that Kelly kind of showed us last week where we got to the height of Israel with like King David, the king after God's own heart, who's going to have the eternal kingdom, and then Solomon who builds the temple. And then after that, it's just this uh, downward slide of all these unfaithful kings. And at times, like, the, the history of Israel is literally going down in flames, like in times. Um, and who wants to read about that? But I hope today to kind of fill in some blanks in our minds surrounding the prophetic literature. Um, I hope that you were helped by reading the chapter, but I really, I want us to solidify that material so that like when you get to the Old Testament prophets in your like read the Bible through the year plan, Um, you'll have some idea of how those fit into the biblical storyline and how you can even apply what they say to your own life. Um, Because if we let these prophets speak to us, I think we'll find similarities between Israel's circumstances and our own and a message that's relevant for us today. So the point of the lecture today, if you're taking notes, it's on the top. God speaks, you'll have to write it though, sorry. God speaks words of judgment and hope to his exiled people. God speaks words of judgment and hope to his exiled people. So just a caveat with that, the Israelites during this whole prophetic period, they are not in exile the whole time. Um, But I'm arguing that the exile is, it's like the defining event of this period. So just like the Exodus was kind of the defining event of early Israelite history, I'm saying the exile is the defining event of this part. It's either the prophets are speaking of the coming exile, they're speaking to the people in exile, or they're just co- the people are just coming out of exile and the prophets are speaking to them again in a new way. So again, God speaks words of judgment and hope to his exile people. So point one on your handout, how does God speak to Israel during this period? It's not from a burning bush or from Mount Sinai, but actually through the prophets. For example, Hosea begins, the book of Hosea that you looked at in your homework this week begins, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. 
Hosea is speaking not his own words, but God's words. Now, of course, the whole Bible is God's word, but God speaks consistently in the prophets um, in the first person. So, for example, in Hosea chapter 2, I will allure her. I will lead her in the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There's a lot of I, me, the Lord is speaking. And you'll see these messages from God, like they're kind of grouped together. And they'll mark about and say, the Lord says, and then the Lord will speak for a long time about a specific situation. And that's called an oracle. So that was talked about in your homework too, if you're wondering what that was. Those grouped speeches of God's words, his messages through the prophets are often called oracles. So here, here we go, group question. Everybody turn on your thinking caps. But you thought about it already. So the prophets are speaking God's words, but what is the, specifically the job of the prophets? That was question one in your homework. I'll let you take a look at it. What, what was their job? What did the book say that they were to do? So you can raise your hand if you have a, you think you got it. Lauren? That's right. They are God's mouthpiece. They proclaim the word to others. Did anyone see also maybe more specifically, so that's correct, also they had another job and there was a term in the book that they called them, yeah, Julia. Yes, they were covenant enforcers. So they were also to, they were to speak God's words, they were to enforce the Mosaic covenant. Uh, Note that the prophets were not fortune tellers. I think that is something we often think about when we think of prophecy, is that they're, they're like telling the future. And they do do that, but that was not their primary role. Um, Israel did know the Mosaic Covenant. They had the Mosaic Covenant. We talked about that before. Um, and they were still to be under the Mosaic Covenant. These, the Ten Commandments, the regulations for worship, the laws for civic life, these were all still the way that they were to be God's people in his place under his rule, even during this time, the prophetic kingdom. Um, And they needed to obey this covenant in order to be a light to the nations. But as we'll talk about a little bit later in more detail, at this period, they weren't doing it. They weren't obeying it. And remember, the Mosaic covenant is a bilateral covenant. We talked about that too. They must obey the covenant. They must uphold their end of the deal if they want a relationship with God. Um, This period where God is speaking through the prophets was marked by incredible turmoil, the exile, which I've already mentioned, uh, suffering, and God's word needed to be applied afresh to their hearts um, through different men, through different prophets at different times. In some ways, the prophets' messages are a little bit like what we do here at this church in this Bible study. We're speaking God's word to one another. We are uh, maybe getting together outside in in context of relationships and discipleship um, where we're speaking God's word to one another. Now, don't take that too far, right? We're, We're not prophets. We are not speaking words that come directly from God. But what we are doing is we are seeking to apply God's word afresh in our relationships with one another, right? To our individual circumstances. We're to remind one another of the blessings of faith and obedience to Christ and also warn of the deceitfulness of sin and of disobedience to Christ and his commands. And that's what the prophets were doing, though, as, but to the nation as a whole and with words directly from God. So another next question, this was number two in your homework, 
In light of this, of them needing to be covenant enforcers, what two themes dominate the prophets? And they were in the book. Judgment and hope. That's right. Um, and did anybody have an answer for why? Why these themes dominate? I think this was. I don't think this was like a black and white question. But what did you think? Why did this, these themes dominate this section of scripture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. That's definitely a piece of it. Um, and that is when they're doing the oracles, and they're, then we'll talk more about the blessings and the curses of the covenant coming up. They are identifying the prophets. They're identifying sin in the life of the people as covenant enforcers. They're identifying that sin, or they're identifying God's love to the people. They do that as well. So then there's often a prediction of judgment, right, for the sin that they've identified, or hope, hope in God's love. God is still with you, and he wants a relationship with you. Um, so God would use these prophets to remind them of the covenant, as well as, as Liz said, the blessings and the curses that would come with obedience or disobedience. And this was outlined, really a key text for this is, is Deuteronomy 28. So if you ever have to read, or if you <laughs> have to, I shouldn't have said that, if you ever want to, or... It, if you're ever getting to a prophet that you're going to study, um, I recommend reading Deuteronomy 28 first. That will give you a real clue as to what's going on with the, um, the blessings and the curses. Because Deuteronomy 28 says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, you will be essentially God's people in God's place under his rule. Um, and if you read it, and it's so beautiful the way Deuteronomy puts it, Deuteronomy 28 puts it, because it almost, it sounds like being back in the Garden of Eden, or it sounds like the new heavens and the new earth. Like, this is what God wants for his people. But, and as we will see is often the case in this period, because the people are not living up to what God has desired of them for relationship, they, they, the prophets reminded them of the curses. And in Deuteronomy 28, it says, You who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you were entering to possess. And this is exactly what happens to Israel during this period. So moving on to point two, words of judgment and hope. So to understand what God is saying to Israel, we have to know a little bit more about what is going on in Israel during this time. So I'm going to take you through, hopefully pretty quickly, through the span of what's going on in, in Israel's history uh, over this time. This is, gonna, this is like the Sunday school education I never had. It's like Sunday school on steroids. Like we're going to go straight through and just look at what, it, what God is doing. Um, so first, go ahead and look at the chart at, in your handout. Um, so we're going to begin just a little bit after where Kelly left off last week. So remember, earlier on, we have Solomon. That's kind of the height um, of, the, of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And uh, the kingdom then gets some pretty unfaithful kings. Solomon led the way at the end of his life in unfaithfulness. And the kingdom breaks up into the northern kingdom, 
and then the southern kingdom, which is often called Judah. And the northern kingdom is sometimes also referred to as Israel. Confusing, but that's just how it, how it goes. Okay, so then we've got these kings, and it's kind of, after this, it's, it's pretty downhill with the kings, as I already mentioned. So this first period, they're not in exile yet, but I call it pre-exile. And this goes from the year 920. So 920 is the breakup of the kingdom, 920 B.C., all the way to the exile, which I'm going to get to in a second, was 722. Your book said 922. That, that was a typo. Um, so 722 B.C. All right, so that's pre-exile. Then, um, then God's people and the kings, it gets to such the point that they're not obeying the covenant, they're not doing God's word, that God does finally use the Assyrians, a pagan nation, and the Babylonians. I'm sure you probably can't read that from far away, but he's going to use the Assyrians and the Babylonians to essentially kick them out of the land. And they're in exile. And he, God is going to tell, he tells them actually that this is going to happen ahead of time because he says, it's not because their gods are stronger than me. Because that's what a lot of the people back then would have thought, like, oh, the gods of Assyria and Babylon, they must be the true gods because they have defeated us and our God. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you I'm going to do this because of your disobedience. Okay, so they're out of the land. And then... Something happens in the year, sorry, I don't know all my years, 586 or 587. The king, a king from Persia, Cyrus, comes in and he, Persia, defeats Babylon. So Cyrus of Persia. And then Cyrus allows a remnant a group of God's, a small group of God's people um, to return to the land. So this I'll call post-exile. So they have returned to the land, and that was um, in the year 538. Okay, so they're back in the land. And that pretty much takes us to the end of the Old Testament. So next week, or actually in two weeks, because next week will be a first Thursday. In two weeks, when you come back, we're going to start the New Testament. So this is the, goes to the end of the Old Testament. Okay. All right. So now let's think back to God's people and God's place under God's rule. Uh, and let's, let's kind of fill in this chart really quickly. Uh, so first... Um, Considering what's going on in the nation, the breakup of the kingdom, are, does God have a people? Are they one nation under God? What do you think? No, I see heads shaking. So we're a divided people. They were supposed to be like a city on the hill, like a light to all the people, um, and, and a unified light to the nations, and they're definitely not there. Uh, are they are they under God's king? What did we say about the kings during this period? Are they kings after God's own heart? No. So there are no. There's no king after God's own heart. No Dave, No Davidic king. Okay. 
And then, are they in God's place? Are they still in Canaan during this time? Yes. Okay, so they're still, they're still largely in Canaan. But this is where the prophets are warning, right? Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah, and others. You guys are going to get kicked out of the land. Now, what do we think about, are they under God's rule? I see mostly heads shaking. Uh, no, that largely during this time, his rule has been abandoned. And in fact, as an example of how bad things got, there's a fascinating story in 2 Kings 22 where a good king from Judah, like they had a few good ones. Uh, his name was Josiah, and he tried to bring some reforms to Israel. And actually the temple by this, by Josiah's time, it had fallen into disrepair. Like the place they were supposed to go and meet with God and like sacrifice for their sins, it's broken down. It's like falling apart. So Josiah is like, we're going to renovate the temple. And they go in and they start renovating it and they're clearing away the rubble. And underneath the rubble, they find the book of the law, the book of the covenant. And they kind of like blow the dust off of it. And they take it, the secretary takes it to the king and he says to the king, hey, uh, we found a book. Like, a book? Like, this was your, like, the book of your relationship with God. This is how you, like, these were words of life. And they found it, like, in the rubble of the temple. So, my, how far we've fallen. All right, let's move in, moving on to exile. Exile, so, as an example of what was going on in Israel, things were pretty bad. The warnings came. A few kings tried to make reforms. But just like any time when we try to do, like, righteousness externally, it eventually fails, right? So they, they fail. They don't keep the covenant, and time is running out. God said, time's up. They're exiled from the land. As I said, the Assyrians and Babylonians come in. The Assyrians do take the northern kingdom out earlier on, and they basically never return. The Babylonians defeat Judah and exile them. And basically, you can just put a big X here. <laughs> Um, so they are, um, they are scattered. God does not have a people. They're scattered all over these Assyrian and Babylonian kingdoms. Um, they are constantly under threat of violence and anti-Semitism. There is a faithful remnant of people. People do remain faithful to God. Think of like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stories like that. Um, but they are no longer in God's place. The temple is destroyed. They're under his curse. And they're under pagan kings. So it's not, not a great situation. Uh, then moving forward to post-exile, as I mentioned before, Cyrus of Persia allows the Jews to return to their homeland because judgment has come. And it's come to, God, it's come to God's people through the exile. And now judgment is over and the Israelites begin trickling back to the land. Uh, all right, so are they now... In God's place. So God sort of has a people there. They are back in Canaan. Right? But actually, the question is, they are back in Canaan physically. But we are left wondering by the end of the Old Testament, are they back spiritually? Um, And the answer to that turns out to be no. Uh, They seek to rebuild the temple but before the paint of the temple literally is like even dry, they're intermarrying with other nations. They're going right back to where they were before. 
And the even sadder thing is that God's presence does not return to this temple. So if you remember back in the old, back with um, Moses after the Mosaic Covenant is established and the people say, we will do all the, the, that the Lord commands, the cloud of God's presence fills that temple. And the cloud of God's presence, fill, presence fills Solomon's temple too. But it doesn't come to this temple. Um, so where's God? Where's God's king? There's still not really a king, certainly not a Davidic king in Israel at this time, because in fact, there's still a Persian province. Uh, and even think of, fast forward a little bit to Jesus's day. They're a Roman province or state. I don't know what they're called, but they are not an autonomous people under God's rule with God's king. But then it's during this time the time of pretty big trouble, even now for the Israelites, and big waiting, that God starts making big promises to them. Uh, even in the midst of all this darkness, he brings them hope. Um, so, going back to the group now, what were some of God's promises that he made to the people during this whole period of darkness? Um, they started on, kind of on page, I think it was page 98. A lot of the book talked about this, these promises that God made in the midst of the judgment. A new creation, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world is not always going to be fallen and broken. Our sin other promises that God made to them then? A new exodus, right. Which partially is this when they get out of exile, but I think there's more to it than that, right? And we'll talk about that. Other, other promises? A new covenant, yeah. And what's, uh, what's, dif- what's going to be different about this covenant? Right, that's right. Yeah that's, yeah, that's definitely a piece of it. Is it going to be a bilateral covenant? Who, who's it dependent on? It's God, right? Yeah. It's eternal, that's right, yeah. What's eternal? The covenant? Anything else that's going to be, he's promising is going to be eternal? Mm-hmm. Eternal. Oh, I think I spelled that wrong. Eternal covenant? An eternal king? What else does God promise? Mom. A living covenant? What do you mean by that? It's Jesus himself? Yeah. So Jesus. So also kind of like Lauren said, Jesus will um, will enact and be responsible for that covenant. And maybe were you also referring to the fact that that covenant is going to be alive in, in our hearts? No, that's what you meant. Okay, good. 
Yeah, in, um, in Ezekiel 36, it says you won't have to tell them the law, right? It will be written on their hearts. They'll get new hearts that will want to follow me. All right. How about, okay, we said eternal king. All nations, right. So this is bigger. God is starting, he's talked about it before, right, back in uh, the Genesis 12 where it talks about um, that, it w- that, that God's light, that his promises will be to all nations, but we get a lot more of that in the prophets, a lot more talk of it expanding to all nations. What about the temple? What's, what's promised about the temple? Does anybody remember from that one? Jesus is the temple. And then I think the book even took it a little bit further too, saying like the temple is going to fill eventually like the new creation, like the whole world will be the temple of God where we will be in his presence face to face. Yeah. So I think, you know, we get bogged down a little bit hearing all the history and all the judgment Um, but I think as we think back of the prophetic time, like this is what the Lord would have us remember, like his great promises, because amidst the darkness of exile and judgment, God is speaking a word of great hope to his exile people. And God will be faithful to his covenant, but it will be new and it will be bigger and it will be more effective uh, than they could ever imagine because it doesn't depend on them. It just depends on him. And he will do it, and he cannot fail. Um, And this brings us to our final point, the fulfillment of these prophecies, yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm going to erase this because we're kind of moving on to that bottom diagram on our sheet. Um, So we've we've started talking about this a little bit, but how the the prophecies are going to be fulfilled in multiple ways, right? Um, so there's a small, like, a, there's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Israel. Uh, then we see another way those prophecies are going to be fulfilled in Christ. And then finally, like, on the last day, uh, or judgment day, there will be a final fulfillment of these prophecies um, and for example, we, we kind of see this a little bit in Isaiah 42, just as an example. Um, it talks about there's going to be, um, God is going to send his anointed king. He's going to be a Messiah of sorts. And his name is Cyrus, right? Okay, so he's like, wait, that's not what we're thinking of. But he is in Israel's fulfillment, Cyrus in a way, like he is the king that God uses to get them out of their physical present exile. Um, but we know that there will be a Messiah that will come not to save people from captivity and exile, but to save them from captivity to their sin, and that's Jesus. So in a way, like the Cyrus and the Messiah at the time was just a picture of what God was going to do, and then even in a more distant future on the last day, judgment day, that is when Jesus is going to return again, right, to rule Um, over the new heavens and the new earth. 
Uh, now, this isn't true of all of the uh, prophecies in the prophets, um, but it is a pattern that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled in stages. First, from a small remnant in Israel, then to like Christ and the nations, then to the whole universe. Um, so let's kind of consider this idea. We'll just do two more quick examples just to solidify this in our minds. And we, we've already started talking about them. So thinking of the temple. So the temple was the place where Israel went to essentially meet with God. That's where God's presence dwelled. And then as Lauren said, Christ, he says his body is the temple, that he will tear it down. He will raise it in three days. He is the place of God's presence where people will meet with God because he is God. Um, and then finally, um, again, on the last day, um, the temple will fill, temple is Christ, the temple will basically fill the whole world. The place of God will be with his people fully in heaven. All right, so then let's think about the covenant. For Israel, they had the Mosaic Covenant. In Christ, there is a new covenant, as we talked about, that will be written on our hearts, that will be bought with Christ's blood. That he will do the work, that he will live the perfect life we could never have lived. We could never have kept the old covenant. And all we need to do is look at the history of Israel to know that. We can't do it. Only he can do it. He did it perfectly. And then finally, um, even though Christ has come and has inaugurated that, that new covenant, that new relationship, we still see things as through a glass dimly. But in the last day, we're going to fully see him face to face. That new covenant, will be t- it'll just be total. We'll have a relationship with God that won't at all be affected by sin. It will just be a perfect relationship with God. So I hope that by now we can see that these prophecies are not just true for them, but they're true for us too. Uh, The faithful in exile were waiting for God's king to come and bring the new covenant and new hearts so they could be with God forever. Now we know God's king has come. And Jesus has come. And for those who follow him, we have those new hearts, like we talked about, to have a relationship with him. And they are a guarantee that we will be with him forever. Um, But we're still waiting for him to return, aren't we? Uh, We're still in a fallen world seeking a homeland. Uh, And I think sometimes, uh, most of the time, waiting for the celestial city is hard. Sometimes it's hard because of our own sinful choices. Uh, Sometimes we're just simply affected by living in a fallen world. Um, Jesus did, as we've talked about before, he is the serpent crusher, which we will talk about next week. He has bruised the serpent's head. Satan does not have power over us, but he is not dead, is he? He still seeks to torment us. Um, The exiles knew the work of the serpent, They were poor in spirit. They were brokenhearted by their sin and their failure. They were oppressed by their enemies and enslaved. Uh, Can you you relate? 
Uh, Do you ever feel oppressed or enslaved by your sin? Have you at times lost hope for repentance and change? Do you ever feel like, well, I'll never be able to quit doing that? Um, Do you sometimes feel depressed and feel poor in spirit, like the darkness will not lift? Or are you troubled by discouraging voices in your own mind or lost, uh, feel brokenhearted because you've lost someone you love or you have a child who's struggling? Um, Or maybe you're just waiting. You're waiting for a family or a job or a ministry opportunity that isn't coming and you're thinking, where is God? And the Israelites wondered that too. This was a long time. This was hundreds of years. Um, And even after the exile, they waited for God's presence to fill the temple, and it didn't come. And all they could do was wait faithfully and hope, and hope one day, one day it might, and hope in the promises that God had given them. In the midst of this waiting, um, turn with me to Luke 4. Jesus is entering the synagogue where the Jews met to worship in his day. And he stood up to read, starting in verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Ladies, hope has come. The hope that Israel is waiting for an exile, it came in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to set them and us free from captivity and slavery to sin. He came to bring them and us back to God. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, we're really glad that you're here. Um, And this message that Jesus is saying here in Luke is actually what we want you to take away from today. Maybe a lot of this stuff that I'm saying is confusing for you. It's understandable. It was confusing for me as I was writing this message. Um, But the Bible does say that if you are not in Christ, you are in spiritual exile from God. You're separated from a relationship with him, and that is the bad news. And all of us women at one time have been there. That's how we're born just like Israel, wanting to live our own way and not God's way. And this is a hopeless condition, as we've seen. If nothing else, the Mosaic Covenant shows us that. We can never do this on our own. But before we get to the good news, the bad news actually gets a little worse. Um, You see, when Jesus quotes Isaiah saying here um, that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's actually only saying half the sentence. If you flip back um, to Isaiah, you don't have to do it right now, but if you looked back at the place where Jesus is quoting in Isaiah 61, uh, the rest of the sentence is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. 
because God is a God of holiness, he can't let wrong go unpunished. Just like for the Israelites in exile, he'd kind of, if he did that, he'd look like the foolish mother who lets her kid continue to disobey and disobey with no consequences, or the judge who allows a criminal to commit crime after crime after crime with no punishment. God will not be made a fool. He will punish. And judgment is another prophecy that we see fulfilled in these three ways. Judgment came for Israel when they were exiled out of the land. And it says that even today, God's mercy, it will not go on forever. Um, There will be a final day of judgment when everyone who does not trust in Jesus Christ for their, their life and their salvation will face that judgment in hell. But the good news for Jesus' hearers right here and for us today is he stopped at proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That day of vengeance has not come yet um, because actually not long after Jesus spoke those words, there would be a day of vengeance, but it wasn't for them. That day of vengeance was going to come down on Jesus Christ himself on the cross. He would take the vengeance that God, he would take the vengeance of God that they and we deserved. Even though he lived a perfect life, he would take our punishment on himself. And we are still living in the day of the Lord's favor. We don't know how long that will last. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we beg you, put your faith in him today. Um, But for those of us who have believed in Christ, we know this freedom of the new heart and the Holy Spirit helping us to obey and follow Christ even in the midst of hardships. And better yet for us, there will be a day of the Lord's favor in the future. And that should also give us hope when we're facing dark times. Um, Turn with me now to Isaiah 65 in closing. So thinking of us not quite yet living in our homeland um, and waiting for that last day. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get through reading this this week without crying. <laughs> I'll try to do better this time. But not long after Jesus quoted the, the words in Isaiah 61, the prophet Isaiah describes for Israel and us what life will be like on the last day when all evil will be judged and gone and those who have hoped in Christ will be with him forever. So especially if you're feeling the weight of sin or pain or failure or suffering, allow these words to just wash over you. All right, Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth, The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. That's us in Christ. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days. Or an old man not live out his days thought of my dad 
and how much he would have loved seeing the Nats win the World Series last night. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, the one who dies at 100 years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses 100 years will be considered cursed. People who will build houses and live in them, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and let others live in them. They will not plant and others eat, for my people's lives will be like the lifetime of the tree. My chosen one will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the cattle, but the serpent will bite the dust. They will not endure evil or destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Though we often think of the prophets as all doom and gloom, they are actually full of great hope. Hope in a dark place. Hope when you wonder, where in the world is God? The exiles hoped in a coming king, who would free them from slavery and captivity and bring them back to being God's people in God's place under God's rule. Their hope and our need was met in Jesus. So when you are in a dark place, put your hope in him. In that day, and in that day when Jesus will return, put your hope in that day. Have faith in Jesus, for faith is being sure of what we hope for. And this hope will not disappoint us. It will not put us to shame. The prophets urge us to set our sights on that day. Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, urges us to set our sights on that day. Let's do that and let each other hope. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for these words of hope. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we discuss um, these passages that we've looked at and learned about. Um, Lord, help us to hope in you, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Please help our sister Camille hope in you as she recovers as well, and the many others of us, even in this room, who are facing cancer and other trials. Lord, help them to set their sights on you and on that day. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.